Hello, and welcome to The Age Guide, Perspectives on the Aging Journey. We are here to be your personal age guide and enhance your quality of life on the road ahead. This year marks Age Guide's 50th anniversary since being established in 1973 as part of the Older Americans Act. All year long, the Age Guide podcast will highlight the impact of various Older Americans Act-funded services and the people who will benefit from them. Across the region and the nation, we're seeing a movement toward the Great Reconnection. This emphasis on reconnecting with others in this post-pandemic time positively impacts older adults, caregivers, and all of us who are aging. It is about rekindling relationships and a renewed focus on building community. In this episode, we sit down with Marla Franzak, CEO of AgeGuide, to kick off our 50th anniversary series with a look back at where it all started and a look forward to where aging services are headed. Let's listen in. So I am excited to talk to you today, Marla. Thank you so much for joining us. Are you ready? I am so ready. Thank you. It's my pleasure to join you. Excellent. Can you just start out by giving us a little background on the Older Americans Act itself? What was it and how did it come about? Absolutely. So the Older Americans Act really came about um, under Linda B. Johnson's um, Great Society Um, These were a series of policies that came around really to address poverty um, in America. Um, In particular, the Older Americans Act was um, coupled with Medicare that was there for the health care of older adults as well as Medicaid. At that time, roughly about a third of older adults were retiring in poverty. And these programs really gave them the ability to not only live, but to thrive in their homes and communities. Wow, that's important stuff. I'm glad they were thinking about that back then. Yeah, it was really a bold promise, you know, for, you know, 1965, when you think about all that was going on, and really to have a focus on older adults in particular at that time. But it really was a blueprint for the aging network and something that really was structured that we still use today. And it's still going strong. So what about AgeGuide in particular? Can you tell us a little bit about how AgeGuide got its start? Yes, that's really, I'm, I'm so pleased to really talk about that. It's such a great question. So the State Unit on Aging, which here in Illinois is the Illinois Department on Aging, um, designated 13 area agencies, and each of us had this defined planning and service region. There are really area agencies throughout the United States, um, over 600 of us um, throughout there. We've all got the same role and responsibilities. And what it really did for us is, um, in particular for Age Guide, is it designated us to kind of be that boots on the ground um, to coordinate those services. Um, when I talk about defined regions, we were actually known as Region 2 Area Agency on Aging. So people that was could, your name? That was our name. Wow. Yes, it was so creative. <laughs> um, today we do business as Age Guide, um, and we use Northeastern Illinois to kind of define our eight-county region. And what, who we serve are the collar counties outside of suburban Cook County. 
Okay. And which counties would that be? So that would be um, DuPage County, which is our largest county, uh, Grundy County, Kane, Kankakee, Kendall, Lake, McHenry, and Will counties. Okay. So that's eight counties. That's correct. And AgeGuide is one of 13 agencies? That's correct. Did you say? Yeah. Okay. We've actually had the largest region oh. um, out of the state of Illinois, over 700,000 Older adults over the age of 60 actually reside in our eight-county area. Roughly about 25% of the older adults in Illinois wow, live in that, that region. A big responsibility. Absolutely. So our purpose um, is to develop that coordinated network of services and supports um, for the older adults. What we do is we grant that those federal dollars from the Older Americans Act um, with state dollars from the Illinois Department on Aging to local community-based providers. They're the ones that directly deliver those services to older adults and caregivers uh, throughout our region. Okay. Does AgeGuide provide any direct services? We do. We actually do. Um, we tend to pilot programs. Um, so sometimes it's our, our opportunity to kind of innovate and see maybe something that we want to roll out um, to the public. Um, but also uh, a lot of our direct service revolves around not only monitoring and administering those funding, but being that advocate out there for those older adults. We want to be that voice um, to make sure that policies are good for people out there so that they can stay in their communities. We want to be at the table for local government when they're making decisions about transportation and housing. This is how we create change and make sure that um, our programs alone can't do everything for older adults. Mm -hmm. So we need those partners out there and we need them to always be mindful that a good number of their residents are older and that their needs might be different in the communities that they live in. So there's a number of these organizations. Um, about how many organizations do you fund these days? You know what? When we first started, believe it or not, um, we were um, we were a staff of five, wow. and we funded um, maybe a dozen or so projects out there for like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Today, um, we're a staff of over thirty, oh. and we are funding over fifty community-based um, service providers throughout our region, and we um, award over twenty-five million dollars wow. worth of um, services, uh, both federal and state funding. Okay, yeah, I was just going to say, providers. is that all federal funds from mm -hmm. the Older Americans Act? Some yeah. of it comes from state dollars it, as well? It does as well. And in addition to that, our local providers also put in local resources. So they are also contributing to that. So we are, um, a lot of research has gone around this. And for every dollar of federal funding that comes through that Older Americans Act, we leverage like three to four dollars uh, locally. That's a really good return on investment. And does that count volunteer time? Uh, it does indeed. Okay, yes. excellent, because I know yes. there's a lot of people volunteering in this network absolutely, as well. Absolutely, absolutely. It takes many hands yes. to deliver these programs. Yes. So it sounds like you have been doing a lot of things over the years and continue to do that. But what are you most proud of over the past 50 years? Yeah. 
That's a great question. There's so much good work that's really been done throughout our network. But truly what I'm really most proud of is our ability to really adapt and innovate. So while we deliver many programs the same as we did maybe 50 years ago, we have had the flexibility to really adapt those to the changing needs of our older adults and um, really those people that care for them as well, too. So what we're finding now is that not only are people living longer, but they're also the communities that we're serving are more racially and ethnically diverse, which means that their needs are very different depending on where they live and really what is culturally appropriate um, for them. So that's one of the ways that we're able to really tailor our services to make sure that we are meeting those ever-changing needs of older adults. Um, believe it or not, for the first time ever, in 2030, there will be more people over the age of 60 than under the age of 18. And this is the first time that this has happened, not only here, but globally wow. in, our, in our world. What do you think that's going to mean for us? Well, I think what that's going to mean is that we're going to have to change the way we think about aging and about how people live in a society and what their needs are going to be. And we're going to have to adapt our systems and policies to really um, meet those challenging needs because we weren't built. We were built as a young society, and we were built because people, you know, many didn't live past the age of traditional retirement. So it is a time to rethink and to reengage and to relook at all of those systems and structures out there to support an aging society. Would you be able to give an example of how you've adapted and changed some of the programs that used to be offered and how, how that's different now? Absolutely. So um, some of the ways that we've done it, um, and really this came out of the, um, was born out of some of the pandemic, is the use of technology to deliver um, programs. Uh, what we found is that, and what we've known is that uh, many of our older adults have mobility issues. So whether it's a lack of transportation, outliving their ability to drive, or maybe chronic um, conditions that don't allow them really to get out of their home, we've been able to use technology to bring them into our programming and allow them to connect in ways that they never have. We, we deliver programs like bingo, where we can have people in the room that are doing a bingo game and then have people virtually playing at home oh, really? along with the bingo oh. or doing a health promotion class where they're doing um, an activity like a jazzercise or a matter of balance and then people at home can participate virtually um, through that. That was something that we really had never attempted mm -hmm. prior to the pandemic, but it allowed us to bring people into these programs that maybe never would have had that opportunity to do that. I hadn't really thought about that use of technology before. That's excellent. And I know there's sort of a stereotype that older adults are afraid of technology. They don't know how to use technology. Do you find that actually to be true? Um, we actually have found that that is not true. What we have found with technology is more of barriers to affordability mm. 
and access um, to devices. So once we've been able to put programs in place where we've been able to teach people that maybe have never been exposed to um, those devices, they've actually are quick learners. So that old thought that um, you can't teach an old dog a new trick is really not true at all. Actually, older learners are better learners in many ways. And so it's giving them the opportunity to have that um, ability to use that technology. And they're motivated. They want to be connected to their family and friends. They do. And in many cases, um, smartphones have been that connection to that technology. So maybe while they might not have been on a computer, they know how to use use that for social media and shopping and many other ways. Everybody's got a cell phone in their pocket now. That's right. Hello and welcome to your Medicare Minute. We are here with Val Guzman, our Benefit Access Specialist here at AgeGuide. Today, we have a question from Albert in DuPage County. He wrote in, I know open enrollment is going on. Does that mean my Medicare is changing next year? What's going on? Medicare open enrollment is going on from October 15th to December 7th, and your coverage could be changing, so it's important to stay informed. In Illinois, most drug plans have changed where some have gone up in price and others have gone down. The new drug deductible is $545 for the year. Prices for these drug plans range from over $100 a month to actually $0 per month. So some people actually won't have to pay anything uh, for medications. Thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act starting in 2025, uh, there will actually be a cap on the cost of your prescriptions uh, and that'll be $2,000 per year. Maybe one of the most welcome changes uh, is that Medicare has started limiting how often insurance companies can call you to try to sell you something, and their commercials have to be more clear uh, about what they're offering. This should lead to you getting less phone calls and more accountability for the insurance companies. So a lot of improvements have been made to Medicare, and you can visit the AgeGuide website, ageguide.org, to get connected with a SHIP counselor and get a better idea of how Medicare will work for you in 2024. My next question is, what do you think is next for um, the Aging Service Network? And what, what's next for AgeGuide? Yeah, that's a really loaded question because I feel like there are many opportunities for the Aging Network going into really that next half century mm-hmm. of how we're serving older adults. But, you know, it's all built around that foundational work that was done through the Older Americans Act. It was really a great foundation for us to build off of. And so while we don't want to definitely create new, but it is our opportunity to build and grow. And one of the ways that we are looking at it, and this is really the foundation of the Older Americans Act, it was for us to help people stay socially and civically engaged in their home and communities and allow them the opportunity to participate in the workforce, maybe beyond that non-traditional age. So that is really the work that I think is going to um, encompass us in the years to come right now. Um, We are um, really looking at what are the barriers to doing that. And unfortunately, one of the things that I think we've uncovered is really um, addressing ageism. And I don't think we can get beyond um, getting people more socially and civically engaged 
until we can address that. What is what is that? Can you unpackage ageism yeah, for us? Um, a it bit? really is a prejudice against our future selves. It is, it is something that um, we see in stereotypes out there. You know, we kind of said it here jokingly, like things like teach an old dog new trait. You know, we say a lot of things in our society that really impact. The way that people view aging. All the negative birthday cards. All the negative cards. Over the hill, those type of things. So, addressing ageism is really unpacking that to say that there are many positives to growing older. Okay? It gives us opportunities to reinvent ourselves, it gives us opportunities to start new careers to maybe learn a new language, to engage in um, maybe other um, volunteer opportunities that we never had the chance to do while we were working and raising families. And one of the key things that we've seen on addressing ageism is bringing younger people into the conversation. So if more people understood the value of aging and really all the positive things that it can impact that their lives and make their lives um, more meaningful, they would look forward to this. And they wouldn't be looking at it um, in terms of that image of a frail person, um, maybe a person who is um, chronic diseases. We don't find that in many of the older adults that we're seeing out there. Um, we could take the people that are running for president right now. So we know that these people can run countries that can do many, many things past that traditional retirement age. So I think our role and our advocacy role is really breaking down those prejudices so that people do have those opportunities to remain engaged and to um, be able to do all the things that they really want to do to thrive in their communities. And I, I like that. And it applies to all of us. Like you said, it's about our future selves. We're all aging. We're all going to age and we want to age well. And we know people are living longer. So what are we going to do with those extra years? That's a really good point that you make. Yeah. We're really looking at this opportunity now as, you know, you've heard before, like this, like great resignation that was going on. We would really like to repackage that and give us that opportunity coming out of the pandemic for a great reconnection. And I think that is one of those ways that we can really bring the generations together to stay more connected and more engaged. Age Guide is conducting a community needs assessment and we need your help. We are looking for older adults and caregivers to give feedback about programs and services available to older adults in your eight county region. Your feedback will help us evaluate and improve aging services for the next three years. You can help by taking the Community Needs Assessment Survey and or by participating in a listening session in your county. Visit www.ageguide.org slash community needs assessment to find a link to the survey and find more information about our listening sessions. 
great reconnection. I've heard that term. I think that originated with um, the business sector. But I think you're right. That really applies well to older adults, caregivers, people working in aging services. Because like you said, we've been through this pandemic. We've seen what it's like to be so isolated. People were separated from their loved ones. All of us were, right? And it has hit older adults especially hard, especially those in long-term care. And so the great reconnection is really about building up those relationships again. And I know that most of Age Guide's programs in some way help with that reconnection. So it's a great time in this 50th anniversary year to celebrate that and to really lift up those programs and how we're going to be able to connect people. So I think that's really exciting. Absolutely. You couldn't have said it better, Gretchen, because really it is our time. It is a moment um, for us to really Take what's happened in these past two years, learn from it, and see how we can grow. And um, our Older American Act programs, like you said, we've really been doing this for the past 50 years. This is the the foundation of all of that work, um, was to give people those opportunities beyond just providing health care for somebody, beyond just providing housing, but providing really that quality of life for people. And so while we've been doing it, I think our work is just beginning in many, many ways. And a lot of it is about that connection. Can you give maybe an example of what that looks like in the community when you're connecting people to each other, to others in the community? Yeah, absolutely. And and like and I'm so glad that you brought this up that it, this is not just an aging issue. This is really what we're seeing um, across um, our nation. And honestly, I would believe it's the next global pandemic out there. Our Surgeon General just released an advisory report talking about the impact social isolation and loneliness is having on all of us and really giving us a foundation to to grow a movement Mm. to make sure that we can find ways that we can socially reconnect to each other. So it's a question of how do you um, work within your communities, okay? Are there opportunities for you to go to parks? Are they accessible for you? Are there opportunities for you to be able to participate in um, in roles in civic engagement. So are you um, participating in boards? Are you looking at opportunities um, to support uh, political movements out there? But also, you know, theater and education and all the things that really kind of give your life meaning. So I believe that what we're trying to do is really open the doors for people to to kind of reconnect to all of that. Um, I really saw that, like, over those two years of the pandemic, we all tried to virtually connect, right? We, we took opportunities. We Zoomed together. People were having Zoom happy hours. Right. They were just finding ways um, to do that. And it was effective. I'm not going to say it wasn't effective. Uh, effective. We learned new things. We tried some we new things. We learned things. We did things, and they got us through a challenging time and an uncertain time. So it was a way for us to do it. But what I see now coming through for that reconnection 
and is the opportunity for us to be together again. So I sometimes share the example of my mother. During the pandemic, she lived in a senior building and they were locked down. I mean, they we couldn't visit. They couldn't go in their dining room together. They were bringing meals three times a day. She's like, all I feel like I do is eat and whatever. She wasn't seeing anyone. She wasn't seeing anyone. They would go out in the hallways, maybe talk a little wave bit. Wave to each other. Wave to each other. It was a very wow. challenging time for older adults. We did a lot of things to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. And they were effective in many ways. But it did take its toll emotionally on people. Now, my mother, for her, the arts is what brings her joy, the arts and her family. So for her, she Zoomed a live opera every night. That just, maybe sometimes she watched it twice a day. We did family Zooms together. So we brought our family from across the country once a week. Use that technology. And I I do kind of in some ways miss it because it did kind of give us that opportunity. But what I'm seeing now is that people are getting out. And I'm seeing that she's able to go to live theater again. She's able to go to the opera again. She's able to see her kids and her grandkids and hug them. Mm -hmm. So while those virtual opportunities were great in many ways, they really can't substitute for how we are connecting together and the importance of that. So our children got onto devices, our families, in many ways, they haven't lost some of those habits. And so now it's really our roles to show people how you have to move away from that and kind of move more into being together. And I think that's the way we're going to be addressing all of this going forward, is how do we move into that next generation? And what does that look like for our programs and services? And that's a very important role. Like you said, people really got out of the habit of being face-to-face. And and a lot of people are talking about having anxiety now, not just older adults, but about going out. They're just not used to being in crowds. They don't like the loud noises of being out and about. Maybe they don't know how to engage. Maybe they've lost some friendships that they had built before. So I think you're right. There's really going to be a need for a relearning process. And if Age Guide can step into that role for older adults and help them figure out how to get connected again, it's definitely time for that. And like like for your mother, her experience she's probably so much happier now that she's getting out Um, and the light the quality of life it is Mm -hmm. a it is a big difference and um there is there is there is a role like i said there is a role for these opportunities whether they're virtually or in person but i think for all of us um to kind of as the surgeon general had said to kind of mend that social fabric We all have to get back out into our communities. We have to support those businesses out there, support the arts, and really come together um, because that's really how we created our nation. And that's, I think, where we need to kind of move forward on that. Perfect. That's what the reconnection is is going to be about, the great reconnection. It's a perfect way to kind of summarize our 50th anniversary celebration and to look forward um, to the future and see, see what we can do with this. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I just would like to say that um, I'm just so excited about that we can really kind of shine a light on all that we've done in these last um, 50 years. 
the um, the network um, has really had the ability to help people kind of make those authentic connections. We've had the opportunity to not only do this for people socially, but we've been able to really help people um, give them nutritional meals. We've been able to give them transportation rides to doctor's offices. We've been able to kind of fill in where healthcare leaves off in terms of bridging um, people to be part of the home and community. And as people are aging in our communities, um, these programs are going to be more needed now than, believe it or not, in 1965 when they came up. When the program with the old, started. When the program first started, we're recognizing this value goes far beyond, I think, even what the people who crafted it could have envisioned. ever envisioned. And so for us to be able to um, show the meaning of these programs, I think we touched a little bit about the return on investment mm -hmm. that these programs make for people. Um, but more importantly, it's the impact on their quality of life and being able to really share those stories of how people are thriving um, in their later years and being able to do incredible things that maybe they thought they never could do. But now they have the opportunity to do that. And they're staying at home and in the community where they want to be. Exactly. With the people they love and the friends they've made over the years, for sure. Wonderful. So exciting to continue on this journey this year and highlight some of those programs for folks. So we'll go into more depth on some of the things you talked about and maybe interview some program participants and get their view on how these um, services have impacted them and made a difference in their lives. So I hope that people will stay tuned and continue to follow us on this journey this year as we celebrate these 50 years. I do, too. I do, too. They're going to enjoy the ride. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Age Guide, Perspectives on the Aging Journey. We hope you learned something new on this podcast because we all have a stake in promoting a high quality of life for people on their aging journey. Age Guide coordinates and administers many services for older adults in Northeastern Illinois. We serve DuPage, Grundy, Kane, Kankakee, Kendall, Lake, McHenry, and Will Counties. Our specially trained professionals are available to answer questions and connect you with local service providers and resources. If you are interested in these services or want to learn more, go to our website at hguide.org. Call our offices at 630-293-5990. Please follow our podcast so when we post our monthly podcast, you are notified on your streaming account. Thank you, and we will see you next time on The Age Guide, Perspectives on the Aging Journey.